This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome one and all to another day here at The Damage Report. I am John Adderola, joined today by Ray Vanna, contributor to Rebel HQ and host of Taking the L. How's it going, Ray? It's good. You and I were just nerding out a little bit about Game of Thrones. It got me excited. Mm -hmm. Now we get to nerd out about uh, the horrible state of the world and politics. So mm -hmm. looking forward to it. <laughs> a different Game of Thrones, right. perhaps. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it was a nice change of pace to have a reasonable conversation about how that show concluded that can acknowledge both the, the bad sides and the good side. Generally, I talk about that with Emma Vigland, and she is just incapable of logic or reason when it comes to Game of Thrones. Everyone tweeted her about that. But anyway, <laughs> glad to have you here because we have a lot to talk about that does not necessarily involve the Targaryens or the Starks. We're going to be talking about the Supreme Court. Uh, now announcing they will weigh in on um, you know the the special counsel's investigation of January 6th and Donald Trump and all of that. That's going to be exciting. What is going to happen with Rudy Giuliani? He says he's facing the death penalty, so we'll discuss that. Impeachment could be coming sooner than you might have expected, so get ready for that as well. And that's just in the first hour. If you stick around, uh, if you're on the live show for the aftermath, we've got another instance of deep fakes in politics, always fun. The state of the estate tax and a satanic altar that could be coming to a, a, a Capitol building near you. So lots to talk about. The Supreme Court has announced that they will be weighing in on Donald Trump's the investigation over January 6th, the coup attempt, all of that. Now, this is a fast development and a surprising development in that the special counsel Jack Smith just appealed yesterday to the Supreme Court to sort of skip several of the normal steps that you might expect in this process and get a final decision on whether Trump's presidential immunity defense is going to be allowed. We did not expect that he would do that. And even once he did, we did not necessarily expect that the Supreme Court would so quickly respond to it. But uh, they will do that. Uh, and so hopefully we'll have some sort of certainty about that soon. Um, in terms of the argument for this, prosecutors have cited the 1974 US versus Nixon case. Where the Supreme Court ruled that former President Nixon was required to turn over tape recordings during the Watergate scandal and that he was not protected by executive privilege. They need to go all the way back to 1974 because there is not a lot of cases that involve this, certainly at the, at the level of the Supreme Court. So the precedent is not super clear as to can he just get away with literally anything he wants because he was a president once. So that's what he would like you to believe, um, what he would like the Supreme Court to believe. And bear in mind that this is a part of the immunity argument is a part of his overall defense, much of which 
It isn't really a legal defense so much as a legal slowing down of the process. They really want these cases to be pushed off to after the 2024 election. They're still pushing for that right now. That particular trial is scheduled to go forward starting on March 4th, which if that was happened and it wasn't slowed down. And by the way, the immunity claims are a big tool that could be used by Trump's legal team to cause it to be slowed down. Then we could get some sort of final decision, you know, before he before the GOP primary is done, let alone before the general election is done, which certainly seems like you know these cases are supposed to be adjudicated in an expeditious fashion. But also, people deserve to know. What actually happened? Is he guilty? So that they can choose, um, you know, with full information, not only between him and Joe Biden, but also possibly for one of the other Republicans. So we we have more details, uh, Rivana. I want your thoughts on this. Um, there's a, a lot of developments just in a short period of time. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think a lot of people's gut reaction to this is going to be, well, Trump packed the Supreme Court. Of course, he's going to want them to make a decision on this because he thinks they'll rule in his favor. However, it's not Trump pushing for this to be you know, expedited to the Supreme Court, it's the special prosecutor. Because as you mentioned, the Trump's tactics are slow this thing down, get it moved back as far as possible, hopefully till after votes have been cast in the 2024 presidential election. What Trump's team actually wants to do is have this issue first raised at the appellate level, you know, have it delayed as much there as possible before it's heard at the Supreme Court. Now, of course, like I mentioned, people do have this inclination that Trump thinks he's gonna win at the Supreme Court and maybe individually in his own deranged capacity, he does believe that, but his team is not nearly as confident as he is. We'll talk a little bit later about former members of his administration who also don't share that confidence. And the one person who obviously doesn't feel that way is Jack Smith, who wants Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court to hear this, feels confident that they will be ruling against Trump's argument, which is, you know, His entire defense essentially in almost all of these cases is simply that he has presidential immunity, which falls outside of what I believe is the scope of presidential immunity. I understand it in certain applications, but it's really hard to argue that he was acting within the duties of the President of the United States on that day. On the days that you know before it, after it, and I've been accused of being overly optimistic about particularly this Supreme Court, and I understand why. But I do feel in this case that they will not be siding with Donald Trump, and that they will, you know, subscribe to a more limited view of the doctrine of presidential immunity. You raised a lot of good points, and I'm just trying to hold in my head all the different things that I want to talk about now. So. First of all, you're right. That is largely his defense in almost all of these. And obviously, because those on the right support Trump, they have to support the legal defense that he is making. But can we just pause for a second to acknowledge how, like, fundamentally, like, elementally elitist that defense <laughs> is? They definitely would not apply this to any other president. Oh, so I suppose Biden can do pretty much anything he wants right now, right? And then just claim that he was immune later on. And every Republican will line up and say that that's totally acceptable. They definitely would not. They just support this because they think that it might help Donald Trump. And I'm doing sort of the same thing that I guess you're doing, and the audience are doing is like trying to like read like the tea leaves, like. 
how likely is this thing to work? So Jack Smith is pushing for it, which implies that he thinks he has a good chance. Or, I mean, you could say maybe he doesn't necessarily think that he has an amazing chance, but he kind of has to rush it either way. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it is a Hail Mary, which by the way is what Trump's spokesperson is saying. They're saying that it's him trying for a Hail Mary by racing the Supreme Court and passing the appellate process. But but again, like to say that is to say, like, if they think that Jack Smith will lose, if they think that the constitutional legal argument for presidential immunity is strong, then they should be cheering this, right? In particular, because it's gonna go to a Supreme Court that he has put so many people on. So the fact that Jack Smith is pushing for it gives me some confidence. I'm trying not to fall into the same trap that people had with the, you know, the prior special counsel and assuming that they can do no wrong or whatever. But in this case, Jack Smith seems more competent. He seems confident. They don't seem to like this, the, the Trump people, other than actually Trump. So that also gives me confidence. So I do bear in mind that it's a conservative Supreme Court, but it's not a Supreme Court that has always been like specifically supportive of Donald Trump in general. Like they support much of what he supports. But that does not mean that they are going to set a strong precedent for President being able to do literally anything they want just to save Donald Trump. So I don't know, weigh in, what do you think? Yeah, so I, I obviously don't think that the Supreme Court is, you know, filled with individuals who are, you know, unimpeded by bias and just the most in, intelligent legal scholars in the United States, obviously not Brett Kavanaugh is there, for God's sakes. Um, that being said, uh, they aren't in a position where they necessarily have to be beholden to Donald Trump, despite the fact that he appointed them to the Supreme Court. Because I always refer to them as our nine unelected wizards who get to control pretty much every aspect of mm. our lives because they're not really in any danger of being removed from their positions, you know, until they decide they want to retire or die. And they do have allegiances to you know, the Federalist Society and aspects of the Republican Party. But they've shown that they're not necessarily, like they are firm in their commitment to right wing values and conservative values. Like we saw, they overturned abortion, they had no issue doing that. Promoting, you know, ridiculous standards of allowing Christianity to be taught in schools and, you know, <laughs> prayers being led at the 50 yard line in high school football games. But this is not necessarily a tenant of the Federalist Society. It's not one of the big projects that they've been trying to pass for decades. You know, this is just something that Trump needs right now in in order to defend himself in these cases. So I think we're a little more likely to see some of the conservative justices rule against it. Obviously, I have no hopes for individuals like Alito or, or definitely not Clarence Thomas, but we'll just mm -hmm. have to see how this plays out. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd like to be optimistic about it, but of course, you know, as you pointed out, there is the the option that Jack Smith doesn't necessarily see a high success rate in this, but just needs to have this decision early so he can better prepare the prosecution. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm, I think it's more likely than not that they will rule against Donald Trump. At least his argument, I mean, in this case. Well, and I would quickly throw in like. He might think this is a 30% chance of succeeding. But if I don't, and if this thing gets pushed back beyond the general election, then the entire thing just disappears. I literally have no chance in that case. Trump will, Trump will win, Trump will just get rid of it. He might be worried about that. Really fast though, because you mentioned Clarence Thomas, 
and and I'm glad I'm glad that we have a lawyer on the show. Uh, talk to us about grounds for recusal because Clarence Thomas notably is married uh, to his wife, who is pretty inextricable from the January sixth the legal efforts to overturn the election. You know, Ginny Ginny Thomas, I should say, was involved in a lot of this, so it kind of seems like he should recuse himself. But what do you think? He won't. <laughs> I mean, there was a case that I think more directly implicated his wife, and he didn't recuse himself then. I'd have to more carefully review because you know they recently put in a, a new code of ethics. It's not so much about recusal, but more about getting. Uh, uh, you know, gifts and donations from from donors, um, uh, and maybe there's something in there that might lend itself to him being more likely to recuse himself. But I don't think he will. He has shown uh, no, uh, you know, he's shown no issue hearing cases that directly implicate his wife, uh, wealthy donors, individuals who have Nazi museums that he gets to tour when he visits their house. Uh, you know, so he, I really don't think unless there is a massive pressure campaign and even then that he would uh, you know, recuse himself. I, I think that he will definitely be hearing this. I think you're probably right. <laughs> um, but anyway, I just, you know, because there's supposed to be this concept of ethics in uh, law in particular, for Supreme Court justices who are not base humans with biases. They are divine creatures of <laughs> objectivity. One would think that they would abide by these sorts of ethical things. But but now I'm starting to think maybe they are humans. Maybe they're <laughs> not perfect and just. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, with that said, I want to turn to another aspect of this. Uh special counsel, special counsel Jack Smith has apparently extracted data. From a cell phone that Donald Trump used while in the White House and plans to apparently use evidence taken from this in findings to the jury that's going to be investigating the January 6th activities, the coup. And people are saying that this could be huge. So we want to dive into what he might get out of this and what we can learn about the case that he's going to be presented. So he's going to bring in, I believe, a series of three experts who are going to be talking about this data. One who actually did the extracting and processing of the data, and then others who can sort of like talk about the mapping of how people who were being communicated to with this phone were moving about the Capitol on January 6th. Um, and so it's gonna get a little bit technical, but supposedly it can tell us a lot about Donald Trump's uh, digital activities during that time. So the witness is uh, able to determine the usages of phones uh, on and around January 6th. So prop, prop, uh, potentially in the lead up to it as well, which could be important, um, including the periods of time when quote, the Twitter app was open on Trump's phone the day of the Capitol riot. Which seems so hyper specific, but there's a lot of questions about what he was doing, who sent certain messages. Um, the data could reveal day to day details of his final weeks in office, his daily movements, his Twitter habits, and any other aides who had access to his accounts and devices. So, in particular, there were these tweets that he sent on January 6th, uh, lying about the Vice President Mike Pence's possible role in overturning the results of the election. Um, so was he the one that actually sent it? They believe that this data can potentially speak to that. Um, but to be clear, we don't know exactly how much access uh, this particular witness or the special counsel had to Donald Trump's phone. 
while Smith described in the filing using the data to view images, websites, and locations, it's unclear if he accessed the substance of Trump's communications or if anything was shielded due to executive privilege or other limits, which seems super significant. If we don't know the content of texts he was sending, maybe even who he was speaking to on the phone, the tweets he was sending, then I, this does not seem like the bombshell it's being presented as. So I have a little bit of fear about that. But I do want to go to um, Scott McFarlane, who was uh, talking, um, I believe this was on, it was live on CBS uh, News, about how a former congressperson uh, sees this data and how significant it could be. So let's jump to that. One of the top investigators for the House January 6th Select Committee, the former Virginia Congressman Denver Riggleman has said, the data in the phones is the holy grail of the evidence the committee reviewed and that the Department of Justice and Special Counsel now have. Because this is a case alleging conspiracy. And Congressman Riggleman writes this in his book, The Breach, that this case is an alleged conspiracy. And the communication between different players is such a critical component when yeah. investigating alleged conspiracies. This phone data is a potentially provocative high level piece of evidence if presented to a DC federal jury. Okay, so Ravana, what do you make of this? What do you think we could possibly learn in the end once this evidence is presented? Um, so, I mean, what they're trying to do is they're trying to draw a clear connection between Donald Trump's actions and the actions of the Capitol rioters to show that he intended to and did inspire them to commit acts of violence that day. Um, you know, it's what they have, they have to get into the sort of technical aspect of it to prove that it was Donald Trump tweeting the intents behind the tweet, you know, or that he at least approved the tweet that was sent out. I don't think there's a doubt in my mind that he was the person sending those tweets, considering no one can truly copy the manner in which he writes <laughs> out his tweets. <laughs> I've never seen someone very effectively do it. Um, that being said, you know, I think that it's important evidence to introduce on the outside looking in. It's something that we're saying, you know, we don't really need to know all this. But when you're in court, you have to be able to prove, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt this. Also, one of the things that they're alleging is they can show the through the data from phones of individuals who were involved in the riot that they were accessing Trump's Twitter. And right before or during the time that they were entering the Capitol to show that there's that strong connection there between his language inspiring the action of the rioters. Again, we know that they were reading his tweets off on a megaphone outside the Capitol yeah. on the day of. So I mean, but you know, you have to show that strong level of connection there. It's imperative. So you know, for us, it's like, well, we already knew this, but when you're introducing this as evidence in court, you need that level of sophistication and, and yeah. the technical nature of it. Yeah, it is, it is, it is frustrating to me <laughs> that you need to like, wait, was he the one that said Mike Pence could overturn it in this tweet? He said it a thousand times. Right. He still <laughs> says it. He says it to this day still. Yeah. Like, even if it was an aide, it was an aide expressing his obvious preference that Mike Pence try to overturn democracy or whatever. It just I will also say I don't we don't know so much about what could end up coming out of this, but to me if the case hinges on some of this stuff that seems really weird and that seems really weak considering everything that we know and everything that Donald Trump has said. I again, you you are right in that the way that a layperson 
gets to whether they think a person is guilty or not is very different than the sort of like the chain of evidence and logic and connections that you need to lay out for a jury. But it just feels like it feels so super specific and small and granular when we know what Donald Trump was saying, when we know mm -hmm. how long he waited to act on January 6th, the weird message that he finally only once he was pressured put out saying that he loves the people who are trying to bludgeon cops to death with flagpoles. <laughs> um, I feel like that was definitely him in the video. Do we need like, do we need the raw footage so we can <laughs> prove it? Just the whole process seems really weird. And I just really hope that Jack Smith is prepared for this thing. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. These folks did nothing different than what many Democrats have done in, in many states they certainly throughout did, our history. Senator, I mean, there were multiple slates of fake, ele fake electors, including in your home state. They're acknowledging that they were playing a role in trying to improperly overturn the election. That's what they said. They, they, they got the themselves agreement. out of a nuisance lawsuit. They, they agreed to get to settle a nuisance lawsuit that never should have been brought. So you think it's, it's fine that someone- lawsuit. It's a travesty of justice. So that is Ron Johnson, who does not care at all about the developments of the fake electors in his own state. And to be clear, as was alluded to in that video by Caitlin Collins, uh, 10 of the fake electors settled a lawsuit just last week uh, that was brought by the actual electors uh, in Wisconsin. They had sought $200,000 from each of those electors, but thanks to the settlement, the fake ones don't uh, aren't gonna be hit with any kind of fine, but they did have to admit that Joe Biden won the election and agreed to not be an elector in 2024 or any election in which Donald Trump is a candidate. They also agreed that by posing as electors, they were quote, part of an attempt to improperly overturn the election results, which means nothing to Ron Johnson because they were the target of a nuisance lawsuit. So the stuff that they have now admitted to, like as part of a settlement, doesn't count for anything. It's very easy how they can get out of jail free when it comes to having to think. Now, bear in mind, then the reason that they're having that interview is that one of the electors will remain on the state's nonpartisan elections commission, as the Republican majority leader in Wisconsin said that he would not rescind his appointment of Bob Spindell to the post. The commission has three Republicans and three Democrats. So the Republican majority leader in the state will not get this guy off. And Ron Johnson also says that he does not support calls for Spindell's resignation. And I just wanna remind you, this is a nonpartisan elections commission that has one of the fake electors from Trump's big lie attempt to overturn democracy on it. Seems like a problem to me. Now you might have noticed that there were some claims made by Ron Johnson in that video. And she is going, Caitlin Collins is gonna push pressure him to provide some evidence on that. So let's jump into that before we get to our conversation. You think it's fine that someone who, who tried to overturn a legitimate election is still on a Democrat board electors have done that repeatedly. Democrats have done Which Democrats one? have done the same thing. In, Republicans in Wisconsin, have never tried to criminalize fake it. slates of electors. No, it's, it's happened in different states. I, Which I, I one, didn't come sir? prepared to give you the exact states, but it's happened. It's happened repeatedly. It has happened repeatedly. Just go check the books. Which books? 
I mean, there have been alternate slates of electors by Democrat electors in our history. Again, you didn't. This wasn't what this interview is going to be about. I'll, I'll come and I'll provide you the information, but I'm okay, absolutely certain I look certain forward about to that. I look forward to your office sending that information. We'll publish it if it's if we'll it's accurate. That. Senator Ron Johnson. Oh, I'm just I can't wait to. I'm sure he's going to send it. I, how long are we going to have to wait before he sends the the evidence? Is it a day? Is it a week? I just want to know what the specific instances he was thinking of are. I I don't I can't I only speak for myself, but I'm going to hold my breath while I wait. <laughs> anyway, Rivana, what do you make of this? Well, we don't need to wait for him to send the evidence over, John. All we need to do is check the books. We just mm-hmm. need to check the books. I've got a myriad of books on my shelf oh my behind God. me. Surely it's in one of those. He said the books without what any- What are you waiting for, Ravana? Start looking through the books. <laughs> it's just amazing the way that the Republicans can say that this was the most fraudulent election in American history. And then we see time and time again that the people committing or attempting to commit fraud, election fraud, was the Republican Party itself, which I can name another time where the Republicans successfully overturned the Democratic results of an election. That would be the year 2000. <laughs> Whereas Ron Johnson couldn't you know, name a single incidence of that happening. I can say the Brooks Brothers riot, <laughs> Bush v. Gore. <laughs> this, he, you know, it's, it's embarrassing also to be so ill prepared for an interview that you knew that you were going to have to talk about that subject, and just to be yeah. like, uh, you know, I just wasn't ready for this interview. I'll come back to you with the definite, solid evidence I have of yeah. all of the instances of Democratic voter fraud. Well, and he seems to get that because he's like, I mean, look, this isn't specifically what this is supposed to be about, so I don't have that. Okay, but <laughs> you weren't obligated to make the argument that you are trying and failing to make. You chose to do that, and you're not. It's not even like he's saying, you know, I think that there have been instances on the other side and I'm gonna check into that. No, he's just stating that it's true, even though he doesn't have a single fact to put into that. And by the way, it isn't true, okay? There's no evidence that he's gonna present. That's not actually how any of this works. Um, and the the unfortunately, the joke ends up being on us because despite the fact that he can't back up his argument there, he doesn't need to. Yeah. Because the right doesn't care. They don't actually care if Democrats have done this before. They want Republicans to do it. Whether it's precedented or unprecedented, they want Trump to stay in power. They don't care if Mike Pence can actually overturn the election. They just want Trump still in office. It's not like you're gonna like read the Constitution and be like, hey, you know, there isn't actually a constitutional provision for that. That's not actually, they don't care. They're not interested in democracy as some sort of foundational value. They don't have that. They just want Trump in power. And so Caitlin Collins obviously cannot cure the Republicans of that. She can only do what she did there, but unfortunately, it's not gonna get through to any MAGA people. There won't be a loss of abortion access. There might be restrictions in some states, but there's gonna be plenty of opportunities for everyone that wants one. That is Sean Hannity making what is being presented as a prediction of what the legal status quo for abortion rights will be following the death of Roe v. Wade. That's not actually what he was doing there. What he was doing is what many in right wing media were doing, trying to lull everyone into a sense of complacency and apathy as the right wing scaled back rights that people depend on. Sometimes with the stakes being their very life or reproductive future. 
And I want to give people an update on a story that is a perfect instance of that. We've been talking about this case for a few days now of Kate Cox, the woman in Texas who has been fighting a legal battle to be allowed to be one who fits under the legal exemptions of the Texas anti-abortion laws because her fetus was diagnosed with a fatal condition and being forced to continue with the pregnancy could risk her life and also potentially stop her from having children in the future. Well, after previously being granted an exemption by a judge, the Texas Supreme Court yesterday overturned a lower court order allowing the abortion. And so she had been granted one of the very few that was granted a medical exemption and then that was taken away. And we're gonna give you more details on her, her plight and what she's doing about it. But I just wanna remind everyone that every single time you get told, "Oh, don't worry, there are exceptions, this is what they're worth. They are not actual exceptions. They are not actual like avenues for empathy in these emergency cases. No, they are branding exercises by a right wing that knows that people do not support their views on these topics. So to get them sold, they have to include some exceptions that the right wing doesn't actually care about and has no interest in actually extending to anyone. And so Kate Cox has regrettably found out how much those exceptions are actually worth. And so um, we're gonna get to more of the, the updates here, but Rayvon, I wanna give you a chance to jump in. What do you make of this? I mean, it's absolutely devastating. And I think that this just totally flies in the face of what Republicans say that they're fighting for when it comes to restricting abortion, which is to protect life and to save the family. In fact, the Texas Supreme Court in its ruling, it pretty much says that that's not the purpose of these laws. This is a policy decision just to simply restrict abortion. Because if the spirit of the law was actually to protect life and to protect the family, then this would clearly be an example where abortion would be excusable even under the law. Because this is there's no life at risk, the fetus is not viable. But there is the potential that if she's forced to carry this unviable fetus to term, she will fully lose the ability to get pregnant in the future, which she wants to do. She wants to have more kids. So by saying in this case, we're gonna force you to lose your ability to have children. Thankfully, she's going to go to another state and be able to get the procedure done because not everywhere in this country is as regressive and horrific as the state of Texas. But so it's completely, you know, again, flying in the face of what they claim this is about. This isn't about protecting life. This isn't about, you know, this isn't about protecting the family. This is about restricting abortion and restricting bodily autonomy. That's it, plain and simple. 100%. Yeah. And so, as you alluded to, yesterday, the lawyers for Kaycox announced that she is going to, she has now been forced to because of this, this new Supreme Court ruling, Texas Supreme Court ruling, to seek an abortion in a state where it is legal. And that is for some who have the resources and the time, at least something. It is a reminder that. Although Texas has become basically a barren blasted wasteland, a Christian nationalist apocalyptic state, there is still civilization near it in some cases. And so you can leave that willful hellscape to go to a place that still has respect for humans that don't happen to be straight white Christian males. And so that is something, but it is unfortunately not an avenue that's open to a lot of people. It does take a certain degree of freedom, of money, 
Um, and reminder that many states are trying to stop even that, even the escape to a place that still has civilization, they're trying to outlaw that as well. So uh, perhaps in the future, Texas will join those other states in making it so that Kate Cox would not even be safe uh, to leave to go to a place that considers her to be a full on human. Any final thoughts? Um, yeah, just I'm glad that you pointed out that this is not an avenue that's available to a lot of people. Uh, most people can't afford to travel outside of their state, uh, or you know, even in some states, it requires follow-up appointments to be able to get an abortion, even medication abortion. So they'd have to go for multiple days, which is extremely expensive and just you know, uh, not possible for individuals who have hard, arduous work schedules, which a lot of Americans do have. Um, and it's totally entirely despicable. And you know, this is a woman who has children, wants more children. This isn't, you know, the stereotype of what Republicans pretend people seeking abortion is are. This is someone who wanted to carry that fetus to term and has to go through the unimaginable pain of losing the fetus. And the state of Texas wanted to force her to have to give birth to and in the process of doing so, lose her ability to have future children to an unviable dead fetus. It is entirely repulsive, despicable, and completely negates the term pro-life. Yeah. Yeah. And and like I obviously all of this is this is just religious dogma. This is mm -hmm. religious dogma from small-minded Christian zealots standing in for actual political theory, medical ethics, all of that. That's all it is. But even if that's what it's going to be, can you imagine what Jesus would do were he to come down and see that this is how they are advancing his cause? He would bitch slap every single one of these pathetic broken men who have ruined right wing media and politics, who can only feel a brief bit of ephemeral strength by restricting the rights of women and other people who can get pregnant. Um, unfortunately, that will never happen. I'm an atheist, I don't think it's possible, but I kind of wish that I could have faith so I could at least think that maybe I could see that. In Ohio, a black woman is headed to a grand jury on charges that she allegedly attempted to discard the remains of a baby. This is Brittany Watts handed a felony charge after what happened on September 22nd. So she sat on the toilet being 22 weeks pregnant and felt her then baby passing through according to the police department. She heard a quote big splash. By the time police responded to her home, they said the fetus's remains uh, we're stuck in the toilet. So effectively, there is some attempts to use like evocative language. She had a miscarriage. It is a tragedy. It's not rare. It's the sort of unfortunate tragedy that happens to many people. Um, most of them will be protected from any sort of legal consequences. But in America, if you happen to be a black woman, that sort of protection is probably not going to be extended to you. And in this case, it is not. So they're trying to make her out to be a monster, some sort of horror who deserves none of your empathy for having gone through an objectively traumatizing and difficult experience by trying to paint this idea that she didn't care about what had happened to her fetus. And so the case was closed back on the second of last month. It was reopened though. And they say that they found probable probable cause to move the case forward, and they're seeking more experts to confirm at what point the baby, the fetus in this case, became viable. 
Um, it is not believed that it was viable at the time of the incident. I mean, it, it was a miscarriage at 22 weeks pregnant. I don't know how many years of med school you need to know that that is not a viable pregnancy. She is now out on a $5,000 bond facing felony abuse of corpse charges. According to court records, she entered a not guilty plea. And if convicted, she could spend two years in prison for having had a miscarriage. Ravana. I think it's important to note the timing of the reopening of this case. It comes after the state went to the polls and voted to protect abortion access in the state of Ohio. This is clearly a political prosecution in the case of this woman because the right wing, you know, Republican Party of Texas was outraged and they said they're going to do, you know, through any means necessary, try to continue to restrict abortion. And in this case, it's not even abortion, it's a miscarriage, but this is just one of the many instances we can point to when they say that they're not gonna, you know, it, miscarriages won't be sucked up in their anti-abortion crusade. Clearly they will, um, and to try to paint this woman as a monster for experiencing a miscarriage and then going through shock and not really knowing how to respond for a short period of time. It's despicable and then to try to literally criminalize her for having a miscarriage. And as you said, there's there's not a doctor who went through med school who wouldn't be able to confidently say that this was not a viable pregnancy. Of course it wasn't a viable pregnancy. It was a miscarriage. Yeah. It is, but you know, we shouldn't be leaving it up to lawyers and Republican legislators to determine these sorts of situations, which is exactly what Republicans are trying to do. Yeah, I. this is gonna be a weird comparison. And obviously, I'm gonna be referencing a case that thankfully eventually resulted in, I guess, the closest thing in that case to justice. In this case, it remains to be seen. But this kind of reminds me of Marissa Alexander, if anybody remembers that case. So this was a case in Florida of a black woman who fired a warning shot when she was about, I believe it was about to be attacked by her, I think her domestic partner at the time. And she was not granted protection under Florida's stand your ground defense. Even though people who kill other people can use it, her warning shot. It's like it's like they've gotten like a big room and there's just a hundred conservative men who have never given a woman an orgasm, who are working all day to try to figure out what is the most messed up way we can interpret the law to F over black women. That's what it feels like. I don't know how else you come up with cases like this. What happened in this particular case with Brittany Watts is, as I said, a traumatic experience that happens to many, many people every single year. And it is none of their goddamn business. This is a tragedy for her. For her family, potentially, it is one that in tweet replies to stories about this, many people were saying they had experiences like this. How the hell is this a thing where the judicial system needs to get involved? The idea that she would spend time in prison for not having had her miscarriage in a way that is convenient for them. In the, I don't know how you could come up with a greater. I don't want to use the term miscarriage of justice because I know that that's where everybody's going to go, but I don't know how else to put it. Any final thoughts, Rivana? 
No, I mean, that's exactly what it is, though. And I think that for a lot of women who, you know, if this happened to me, I would react the same way. I mean, I would feel maybe even, I'll be honest, maybe relief that I'm just now finding out that I'm pregnant, that I'm not gonna be having a baby. But I mean, it's literally just a miscarriage. And then being prosecuted for experiencing mm-hmm. a bodily function and then intense trauma of, of experiencing that miscarriage. Yeah. I- Every day waking up and following the news is just, it's like the Ludovico technique, but like of sheer madness, basically. Like we, we hold our eyes open and we have beamed into our brains unacceptable insanity. And for anyone who is actually watching this, and granted, it's if you're not watching live, it's a story about abortion. So not many people will have clicked on it to begin with. Uh, thank you for being willing to expose yourself to this because that is the only way that we are going to fix this system, which is so thoroughly effed in so many different ways. Whatever happened to them, which is it's unfortunate if other people overreacted, but everything I said about them is True. Do you regret what you did to Ruby Of course Freeman? I don't regret. I told the truth. They they were engaged in changing votes. There's no proof of that. Oh, you're damn right there is. Stay tuned. How much longer do we need to stay tuned on this supposed proof? Uh, that is Rudy Giuliani. And you need to understand that this is an important week for him because this is the beginning of the trial. Uh, that is going to hopefully finally bring to a close the entire thing of Rudy Giuliani defaming two Georgia election workers that were referenced in that video, Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss. So we already know that he defamed the women, that has been adjudicated. But how much is he going to be fined as a result of that? What will the compensation be to these two women whose lives have been made a living hell thanks to Rudy Giuliani's willful lies? Well, we have an idea of what it could look like. Uh, Right now, Giuliani owes Freeman and Moss over $230,000 after failing to respond to parts of their lawsuit. Uh, The mother and daughter are seeking tens of millions of dollars, claiming that they have suffered emotional and reputational harm, as well as having their safety put in danger after Giuliani singled them out when he was making his false claims of ballot tampering. In his desperate, unsuccessful bid across dozens of lawsuits to prove that there was some improprieties in the election, he decided to sacrifice them on the bonfire of his political ambitions. So they're asking the jury to consider awarding them now between 15 and a half million and 43 million dollars for the reputational harm they've suffered alone from a series of specific statements that Giuliani and others, including Trump, by the way, in his campaign made about them. On top of that, they're also seeking payment for their emotional distress, attorney's fees, and for the jury to find Giuliani's quote, punishment for his outrageous conduct and to deter him and others in the future. That could end up being a huge amount of money. Now, before we discuss, I do want to remind everyone of the statements he made about these two women that he is still saying were true. Let's go to that. How can they say there's no fraud? Look at that woman. Look at her taking those ballots out. Look at them scurrying around with the ballots. Nobody in the room hiding around. They look like this. They look like they're passing out dope, not just ballots. Uh, it is quite clear they're stealing votes. Quite obviously, surreptitiously passing around USB ports as if they're vials of heroin or cocaine. I mean, it's outsta- it's, it's obvious to anyone who's a criminal investigator or prosecutor, they are engaged in surreptitious illegal activity again that day. And that's a week ago, and they're still walking around Georgia lying. 
I had forgotten how utterly insane and explicitly racist those comments were about those women. So the suspicious activity that he believes is proof that Trump had the election stolen from him was that these election workers took out ballots and passed them around. I've got news for him. That's what happens to the ballots. They have to be taken out and they have to be passed around. Saying that you're passing them around like dope, I don't even know what that means. They're pieces of paper. Is that how dope is passed around? Did they roll the papers before they pass? I don't even know what that's supposed to mean, except that it's supposed to be racist. And we know that because he doubled down by saying they were passing USB keys around like they were heroin. What is the obsession with trying to paint these two women who are doing the thankless but necessary task that millions of poll workers do to make sure that our elections actually work? Well, as a result of those lies, they were targeted as everyone is who is um, you know, brought up by the Trump campaign and his circle of cronies by endless insane people in right wing media and randos who hounded them, made their lives a living hell, gave them death threats and threats of sexual violence. And so Ravana, it remains to be seen how much money they'll get. But I, I imagine life was made very difficult for them. Oh yeah, absolutely. The women had to move. Um, they had to find new jobs. During a job interview, one of the women had the individual interviewing her pull up an article on his phone saying, are you the woman who helped steal the election? And she just had Ugh. to walk out of the interview. I mean, their lives were absolutely ruined by these lies of Rudy Giuliani. I'll say it's hysterical to me that in the first clip you played, he says, "Oh, they absolutely did this. The things I said were absolutely true. Just wait and see. Because the time to introduce the evidence that they actually stole the election would have been in the original trial for defamation, which you lost, Rudy, because you couldn't yep. introduce the evidence then. You definitely still can't now. It's just such an absurd statement. But speaking of absurd, absurd statements, he also says they were passing around USB ports. So add to the things that Rudy Giuliani <laughs> is a technological genius. No, you just you rip that thing out of the computer, pass it around, you're ready to go if you got any USB keys or anything. But um, yeah, uh, utter madness. Yeah, you could have presented the evidence during that. You could have presented the evidence during the initial trials that you were involved in. You could have literally ever presented the evidence if it existed, which it does not. Which is why you're in a situation right now where you're facing um, what you are calling. Let's let's get to this graphic now. The civil equivalent of the death penalty. This is one of his lawyers, Joseph Sibley, saying they're trying to end Mr. Giuliani. There's really no question that these plaintiffs were harmed. They didn't deserve what happened to them, but it involved a lot of people. It wasn't just Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, but it was primarily Rudy Giuliani. It was first Rudy Giuliani. I don't know that rando weirdo incels around America would be tweeting about Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss if not for Rudy Giuliani. Maybe they would have. It's a complex universe. I can't rule it out, but I sort of doubt it. I think it took Rudy Giuliani. And so if he gets this particular form of death penalty, he has no one to blame other than himself. With that said, we are running out of time. So why don't we jump into our last topic, starting with this. This week, House Republicans are gonna bring a resolution to the floor to formalize our impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. So here it comes, the attempt to distract from all the legal troubles facing Donald Trump by putting Joe Biden up for potential impeachment over these particular areas that they're gonna be investigating. 
Burisma. Yes, the curse continues. You will never in your life stop hearing about Burisma. Uh, interference in the prosecution of Hunter Biden, who is now facing a lot of different indictments, but that's not good enough. And foreign influence peddling, which one of these days they're gonna provide evidence of, but thus far they have not been able to. Uh, but that said, um, they're moving forward. The measure uh, that they were announcing right there, the Republicans directs the House Oversight, Judiciary and Ways and Means Committees to quote, continue their ongoing investigations as part of the existing House of Representatives inquiry into whether sufficient grounds exist to impeach Biden. And so uh, bear in mind that obviously, you know, especially with George Santos being heated out of Congress and uh, Kevin McCarthy is gonna be going away. There's not a lot of room for defections, um, but that said, they might well be able to hold on to every single Republican to push through whatever BS justification for impeachment they have. So Ravana, we might get it. What do you think? Are they going to impeach Joe Biden? Where do you think the strongest evidence lies? Every single Republican except for Ken Buck, who has said that he will not vote to support this. He's been against this impeachment inquiry from the start, not because he's not a far right Republican. He's one of the most far right members of the Republican Party in the House. He just doesn't believe in this amongst some other things because of maybe personal gripes with individuals like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Not quite sure, but I think that it's fascinating. They know that, as you pointed out, they have a razor thin majority in the House. They're not going to the full impeachment trial. They're expanding the scope of the inquiry, is my understanding correct? Um, and it's because they know that there are some holdouts in the party who are apprehensive about authorizing the full trial. So we're seeing, a, you know, obviously they need to distract from Donald Trump's. Um, criminal charges. They also need to enact his petty revenge against Joe Biden. He's, we know he feels personally aggrieved that he's been twice impeached. He wants Joe Biden to suffer the same fate. Um, so we have to play the same tape about Burisma over and over and over again because we couldn't let it die You know, in 2018, 2017. We gotta play the hits, we're bringing it back. Mm -hmm. Maybe Benghazi's next, maybe they'll impeach him for that, who knows? <laughs> Watergate. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's utter madness. Do do we need to point out again what's been pointed out a million times? They say that he fired a guy who was investigating Burisma. The guy wasn't investigating Burisma. That's why they fired him. It's pointless. Why even point that out? They will never accept that because they desperately need something. Honestly, and I'm going to keep it real. I understand that I'm you know technically a Democrat or whatever, but Joe Biden has been in office for decades as senator, as vice president, as president. How are you not able to find good evidence of some sort of crime, even accidental crime over the course of decades? You haven't been able to come up with anything, but they just need it because Donald Trump just stumbles and bumbles willfully into a whole bunch of crimes. On a phone call, he tells Ukraine that their, their aid is contingent on investigating his rival during an election. He steals buckets of documents and throws them next to his toilet. Like he's so obvious in his crimes that they have to find something and somehow they just can't do it. So as a result of the need to distract from Donald Trump's situation, we're gonna suffer through like a year long investigation that will probably end up in him actually being impeached for nothing.